find chapter 3. The text upon which the sermon comes this morning comes from 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17. Verses 14 through 17. These are the words of the Apostle Paul, and he writes, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the person of God, the woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, His holy word. Amen. Well, today we start a new um, sermon series called Core Christianity. Uh, If you know anything about recent physical fitness findings and if you've ever had to have physical therapy like I've had to have because of back issues that I've had, you know that uh, physical therapists and doctors are saying more and more that the core of our body has to be strong and um, that the muscles and the abdomen, the upper and lower back are are what hold everything together in our bodies. And so uh, more and more therapists are stressing exercises to, to put our core together, get it stronger. Athletes of all sports, whether golfers, skiers, football players, soccer players, they're all stressing exercises to strengthen our core. This series is called Core Christianity to help us strengthen the core of our faith. We're going to look at the core beliefs of Christianity, those fundamental, essential things that Christians hold to, or to say it another way, if you take these things away, or if you say, I no longer hold to them, can we really be called Christians? Now, Christianity isn't just about believing certain things, to be sure. You can say you believe the Bible, you can say, oh, I believe in Jesus, you can say, I believe in prayer, but then you can live in a very unchristian way. Following Jesus is also about how a life is lived. We're going to get to that, too. Following Jesus, it's about the mind. It's also about the heart. Hopefully, those things come together the more we grow as Christians. But there are certain beliefs. There are certain things that define our faith that we hold to. They're non-negotiable. You know, if you were a Muslim, if you were of Islam, and um, in Islam, what are called the five pillars of Islam are just essential to being a Muslim. If someone told me you're of Islam and I came to you and I said, do you hold to the five pillars of Islam? And you said, no. I would question whether you are Muslim or not, whether you're of the Islamic faith. Well, what are the essential convictions for a Christian? Because there are some non-essential things. Speaking in tongues, how a church is governed, predestination, how the end times are going to work out. Those things are important, but they're on the periphery. They may be very, very important to some Christians, and there's a few that will say those are the ultimate things, but those are not the live and die things of our faith. I want to focus on those few things that no matter what church you may be affiliated with, no matter what 
branch of larger Christianity you claim. Uh, you could take a Presbyterian Christian, a Roman Catholic, a Pentecostal, Russian Orthodox, or someone who just wants to defy all labels and affiliations, and you could put us all in the same room, and everybody would say, yes, these are the things that we believe, that we hold to, and that you can't be a Christian without holding to these things. That's what I want to get at. Now, some people may be thinking, Bill's just trying to pull some dry, stick-in-the-throat doctrine and theology on us. This is going to be like watching concrete dry. Well, yesterday I used some concrete to repair part of my driveway, so I watched concrete dry. This is going to be better, I'm, I'm here to tell you. Or maybe you're saying, I want a practical faith. doesn't matter what you believe, just got to be practical. Well, if that's you, let me say three things, Okay. And maybe this will ease your mind. I spent three years in a theological seminary. I know how frightfully boring doctrine can be presented and how Christian thinking can be made to be absolutely irrelevant. I promise not to do that. This, thank you, amen. (laughs) These sermons are going to take the very basics. Help us understand them in very plain, ordinary language and show why they matter. What difference does it make in my Sunday-to-Sunday living. Second thing, you know, you can call foundational beliefs doctrine, and you, you can even, dare I say, theology. Doctrines are principles of belief. And you know what? There's not a person in this room who doesn't hold to beliefs. Every one of us has beliefs. But, and I take this from C.S. Lewis, doctrines are not God. Doctrines, though, are a kind of map that help us find the way to God. But that map is based on the experience of thousands and thousands of people over the ages who have really been in touch with God and who have really experienced him. And if we want to go further with God, we need to pay attention to the map. And then third, here is another reason knowing the essentials of our faith is important. We live in Salt Lake City and in Utah, right? We know what the dominant religion and faith of Utah is, right? Well, this is what happens. Some of you come to me. Every once in a while, I get this. Hey, Phil, my Mormon relative, my Mormon neighbors come to me, and they say they believe this, and it doesn't sound right to me, but uh, what do you say? What do we believe? Well, do you know what you believe? Can you have that conversation with anybody? Well, we're going to find out. And in an increasingly diverse and complex world, I think it's helpful to know where we stand. It's helpful for you to know where you stand. If someone, anyone of any belief, any background came and said to you, hey, I know you call yourself a Christian. And, you know, I'm kind of interested in this. I want to explore it. So can you tell me what what you basically believe? Could you answer them? Could you have an intelligent conversation with them? Now, for some of you, this is going to be old hat. I know you have heard these things, but I think we can all go back to the basics to the core of our faith once in a while and strengthen that. And sometimes we need to hear again the basics. Sometimes I just need to be reminded of why I believe it and what it is that I believe. For some of you, this is going to be new, enlightening. And if that's so, I hope it stokes your faith and I hope it gets the spiritual blood in your veins just going. What we believe matters. Now, there may be others who say this. I don't need all this belief stuff. It's way too complicated. 
My faith is simple. To be a Christian means just be a good person. If that's you, I'm going to call you out. Christianity is not being about a good person. You know why? Because Christians don't have a hold on goodness. We don't have a copyright on what it means to be good. As a matter of fact, Buddhists and Hindus, atheists can be good. Sometimes they're more good than us, shamefully so. So just being good doesn't define or differentiate Christian faith. There's a lot of people who are good. There is more. There's so much more. And it doesn't have to be overcomplicated. Again, I just want to get to the core in hopefully a very straightforward, very clear way, lay out those essential foundational things and why they matter for our faith and for our lives. Now, no one has left, so I'm going to continue. Where do we begin? If you want to get to the core of Christianity, where do we begin? We're Christians. Obviously, duh, we believe in Jesus Christ. So maybe we could just start with him. That would make sense. I've never been known to make sense. So I'm going to start somewhere else. I'm going to start with the Bible. Would you agree that the Bible is essential to fundamental core Christianity? What do we know about Jesus? All our ideas about God, Christianity, human beings, and other stuff, it comes from the Bible. Everything I preach in the next few weeks is going to be based on the Bible. Unless we get clear about the Bible, we probably won't have clarity amongst anything else. And while it is true, Christianity is not founded on a printed book. It's really founded on a living person. The fact is that the only place in the world where we get a first-hand account of that person that we worship and serve is in the Bible. What do we believe about the Bible? What is it exactly? What is it exactly? Well, the Bible literally means the books. That's what the Bible is. That's what it means, the books. And the Bible is made of 66 different books. They're divided into two sections. The Old Testament, which is really the larger part of the Bible, and the New Testament. The Old Testament covers the history of Israel and everything before Jesus Christ. The New Testament starts with Jesus Christ and then covers everything after him and the growth of Christianity. Trying to be very basic. Trying to get it right down for what it is. Now, testament means covenant, which means promise. You make a covenant, you make a promise. The Old Testament is God's promise to his people under the law. The New Testament is God's promise to his people under the grace of Christ. The New Testament promise that he makes. Now, these 66 books are all by different authors, different types of people wrote them, Uh, kings and scholars and shepherds and fishermen and historians and poets and, and singers and people we don't even know who they were. And there's all kinds of different writing in the Bible. There's history, there's stories, there's letters, there's lists. There's religious laws and observances. There are gospels. There are songs. There are prayers. There are sermons. There are visions. There's poetry. And Christians read and hear and study these books because we believe they are inspired by God. 
much of the New Testament is written, is made up of letters written by an early Christian leader named Paul to various churches and Christians. And in that letter to Timothy, Paul says this, that all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. The English Standard Version reads, all Scripture is breathed out by God. The Greek word is theopneustos. It is the only place it appears in the Bible, the only time it appears in any Greek literature, anywhere. Now, the biblical word for breath is the same word for spirit. They're the same word. When you say breath, it can be the same word for spirit. We think of how God breathed into human beings to create us, to make us. So God has breathed his spirit to bring these words into existence. Some Bibles use the word inspired. And so we speak of the word of God, the Bible, as the inspired, God-breathed word of God. So the books in the Bible some way come out of the mouth of God. Now, it doesn't mean that the writers of the Bible, you know, heard God's voice and they just wrote down whatever they heard. It was kind of dictation. We believe in a way that really can't be quantified, that human beings were used by God to write what he wanted written. The writers of sacred scripture, unbeknownst to them, were influenced by the Holy Spirit to communicate what God wanted us to know about him and about faith. God spiritually, and in a way we really can't even know how it happened, but God spiritually downloaded his words into the writers. You know, just as Jesus is both human and divine, so the Bible is both human but also divine. And just as the Holy Spirit came upon Mary to bring about the divine birth of Jesus, so the Holy Spirit came upon these authors to bring about the divine word of God. It is from God and breathed out from the mouth of God, yet human beings were used to write it. Human personality and human effort is fully involved. God chose to go through human beings, their stories, their creativity, the way that they wanted to put it, their accounts. In fact, parts of the Bible are very, very plain and very, very um, just uh, nothing. As a matter of fact, Mark's gospel, as an example, is known for its very poor grammar and its very poor syntax, very bad writing. But God used it to communicate his written word. Um, I think that is much more powerful, by the way, even sacred than sending an angel to dictate or to give some pre-written plates. Now, any close reader of the Bible is going to find there are problems with the Bible. Uh, even in one of his letters, Peter writes about Paul, what he writes, he says he's hard to understand. <laughs> Paul is hard to understand. And Peter didn't always get it. There are lots of things I don't understand. Some problems go away when we study those things. Some problems remain. We know that if we had more information sometimes, some of those problems would go away. Um, but we wrestle. We continue to wrestle with some of the difficulties. But having said that, the Bible is absolutely consistent. The Bible is absolutely correct as to the essential things that are needed for our faith in God and living right before him. There are no mistakes there. What is essential that we need to know, it is all good and clear. And I must say, from personal experience and from the testimony of many others, there is a power in the Bible.
that I can only say is from God himself. That people hear God, they encounter God, they experience God, and they find God when they read his word. And that is why Paul also calls the scriptures, if you notice, he calls it holy. He says, this is holy. And it is why your Bible says on it, holy Bible. Because we believe this stuff is different. It's set apart. It's, it's unlike any other book or books that have ever been written or that are written. And Paul says, we read, he says, all scripture, all is the word he uses, is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the person of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible teaches us. The Bible resets the course and the direction of a person's life. The Bible gives us fully outfits, every man and woman, to live for God. Fully outfits us. And that word equip was a word that was used of boats or wagons that were fully stocked, that were fully supplied. You know, before we leave on a backpacking trip, before we leave on a boating excursion, don't we want to make sure that we have everything we need for that trip? Well, the Scripture gives us everything we need to be rightly related to God and pleasing to God. You want to know who God is? You want to know how He operates? You want to know how to love? How to pray? How to endure suffering? How to forgive? You want to know how to give and be selfless? It's all here. Yeah, there are things we don't understand that are hard to understand. I read the Bible sometimes. I don't understand it. But don't get too hung up on understanding because there's plenty that we can and that we do understand when we read it. I've said it before, I think. Uh, remember what Abraham Lincoln said about his reading of the Bible? He says, it's not the parts that I don't understand that bothers me. It's the parts I do understand that bother me. Well, because the Bible is inspired, because it's God-breathed, we say it is authoritative. It's authoritative because its authority comes from God, who is the authority. Think of Jesus. Jesus was a man of the word. He read the scriptures. He studied the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He quoted them. He defended himself with the scriptures when Satan came to tempt him. Jesus said, Scripture cannot be broken. He said, all of it must be fulfilled. He said that the law, the prophets, and Moses, which is all the Old Testament, he said they all point to him. And he confirmed, indeed, that Scriptures are God-breathed. They're inspired. Now, if Jesus has this view, how can we have a less view in any way? Other New Testament writers and figures continually refer back and quote the Old Testament, um, pointing to their authority. Those who walked with Jesus, those who heard Jesus, those who saw Jesus began to speak about what he did. And they began to write down the stories and uh, that came to be the New Testament. And in one of his letters, Paul praises Christians for having heard him and what others were preaching. And he says, you didn't, you didn't welcome it as a word of man. You, working, you welcomed it as the word of God, which it is. It shows us from very early on, people were saying, this Jesus stuff that's being passed around, this is, this is Word of God stuff. We believe the Bible is inspired. It is the Word of God. It is the sacred text for our faith. But why does it matter? It 
matters because we need God to speak to us. We would not know any of what we know about God, his dealings with people, how to live the significance of Jesus unless God had told us this. The Bible tells us how we were created in God's image. We wouldn't have known that unless he told us that. How we've alienated ourselves from God. But how God has continued to love us and seek us. How he came to us in Jesus Christ and through his death and his resurrection and the giving of the Holy Spirit, he has put his rescue plan into action. And how our destiny is not for mortality but be delivered from the bondage of this world to live with and enjoy God forever. We wouldn't know any of this unless it was revealed to us by God in his written word. In essence, the Bible tells us the big story of God's salvation, and it is the biggest and most important story there is. How can we worship God if we don't know his character? How can we trust God if we don't know his faithfulness? How can we hope in God if we don't know his promises? How can, we, how can I obey God if I don't know what he wants, if I don't know his will? I find all of that in the Bible. And the best thing to do is to pick it up, to open it, and to read it, and to listen. You don't have to be experts. Anybody can read it and open it and discover what God has to say. And there's so much more than this. I want to be basic. I'm going to leave it there. I am going to give some more on this theme of the Bible and the inspiration of the Bible on my blog this week, okay? I'm going to write some more about it. So for those who want to go farther and deeper, uh, that's where you want to go. You can find it right there. It's utahgrace.tumblr.com. I'm going to give some more each day on these things. But I'm just trying to be very basic today. But I want to close with this story. There was this old guy who was raised in South Dakota in a dirt, just a dirt poor family. But uh, he worked himself uh, very hard, and, and, he, and he got to the place in his life where he became very comfortable, and he was able to buy a ranch of several thousand acres. And he did this through uh, just plain hard work and very disciplined, uh, frugal financial living. And um, this guy... Uh, got married, and uh, he had this grandfather who, who was a deeply religious man. As he said, he was a darn good Presbyterian, although he didn't say the word darn. And uh, at, the, at the wedding, the grandfather gave this man and his wife a Bible. It was a beautiful Bible in white bonded leather, really expensive, with their names and the date of their wedding in gold plate right on the cover. And... Uh, man and his wife put it in a box and put it in the uh, closet. The man's wife wrote a thank you note to the grandfather, said how much they appreciated the Bible. But for several months, every time the grandfather saw them, he would always ask them about the Bible. Hey, how do you like that Bible? How's that Bible doing? You like that, huh? And he just wouldn't let it go. Well, finally, the man became deeply curious why his grandfather just kept asking about the Bible, always bringing this up. And finally, he went and he took the Bible out of the closet. He opened the box and he took the Bible out and he found that his grandfather had placed a $20 bill at the beginning of the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. 
And then he found that his grandfather had put a $20 bill in every other book of the Bible, too. In every book of the Bible, there was a $20 bill at the beginning of that book. Now, how many books in the Bible? 66 times $20. 66 times 20 is what? Very good. $1,320, which back then was a lot. It's still a lot of money today, but it was back then it was really a lot of money. And that man confessed that the reason his grandfather kept bringing it up, he said he knew that I would never find it. He knew I'd never find it. And he admitted how much interest he could have had if he had found that money sooner and invested that money. God has so much for us. He has so much for us. The sooner we open it, the more we get, the richer we become. Let's pray.